the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians at verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You probably remember that 2 Corinthians 12 deals with Paul's episode concerning this, this thorn in the flesh. You may have forgotten, however, that it begins with the after, it is an aftermath, really, of a heavenly experience that Paul had in which he was caught up in the third heaven. Now, to the Jews, there are three heavens. The heavens where the birds fly, the heavens where the stars are, and the third heaven where God is. And Paul said he was caught up in the third heaven. Now, just to kind of as an aside, there are some people who believe that, that Paul actually was stoned to death in Lystra, and he died and, was, and went to heaven and came back to report about it. Now, that's something, that's another sermon. But he was caught up in the third heaven, and he saw what human eyes had never seen before, and he heard what human ears had never heard and as an aftermath of that heavenly experience, he received this thorn in the flesh. That's when it happened. Now, I do not believe that there is a more relevant subject than the subject of divine healing today. Nothing could be more up to date. There is no one in here tonight who has not at least been touched in some way by suffering. No family circle that has not been invaded by sickness and death. I'm impressed by the impartiality of suffering. So that in the, midst of suffer, in, a, in the midst of a suffering world, does the Bible deal with such relevant realities? Does it have anything or does it have something to say to us about this? For example, here is a loved one who has been sick most of his life. And for years his family has prayed and asked God to heal him. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Yes, it does. The Bible does say that God supernaturally heals. I believe in supernatural healing today. But the Bible does not guarantee that he will all that God will always heal. And what we've done up to now in this series is to discredit what I believe are the unjustified claims that it's God's will that everybody be well. But what happens 
when you pray for healing and no healing comes. When God says no, what should be our response? When prayer for healing does not affect healing, what should be our, our response? The thing we need to establish tonight, I think, in the beginning is this. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Now I'm going to answer the answer. I'm going to give you the answer right up front that I know about his thorn in the flesh. My answer is I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. And neither does anybody else. But I think that we are in agreement, the consensus is, that it was some physical affliction. The word thorn means spike or wooden shaft so that in verses 9 and 10 he does refer to it as an infirmity and as we referred to last week it's the very word Jesus used when he talked about the fact that he had come to heal infirmities. It, he refers to it as an infirmity. It was a physical infirmity. Now there are some basic, basic things we need to recognize up front. Number one, even the greatest saints, the most spiritual people are often afflicted with physical illness and physical suffering. I mean, can you get any better than this man? I mean, as far as a spiritual giant. Some of the greatest people most spiritual people are, are ill and they are afflicted with physical illness. Now I want you to take your New Testament there and I want you to hold the place at, at 2 Corinthians 12 and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now Paul is writing to the Galatian Christians and we can deduce the fact from this passage that when he came to the Galatians, to the, to the churches in Galatia, he was somewhat limited because of a physical ailment. And so he says in verse 13, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. Now watch this carefully. He came to the Galatians and with a bodily illness and it was such that it was loathsome to look at. It was repulsive to look at. And he's complimenting them or expressing his gratitude to them that even though he came like that, not only with a physical illness, but with one that, that caused them to be repelled or to loathe, could have loathed him or it. And, he, and he's, he says, but you received me as an angel. That word is euangelion. It means as a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now, when he came to the Galatians with a physical illness, it was so horrible that he could have been regarded with contempt. He was afflicted 
with a physical ailment. Later on he says that you folks are so good you, could have, you would have taken, snatched out your own eyes and given them to me. It's my, my, my belief that his physical illness was an eye disease prevalent in those days and was loathsome to look at. Second thing we need to notice right up front is that sometimes we get sick because we're human. Now I told about the little lady in the rest home last week and I felt kind of bad about that after I did that because it, it seemed like I was being a little flippant, but I wasn't. The, the, the pastor passed by this little lady over 80 years old and she was bed fast and she said, can you, t I've served God all these years and, and uh, uh, been faithful to him. Can you tell me why I'm like this? He said, sure, you're like it because you're old. I mean, old age. You know. It is a fact that because we're a part of the human condition, we get sick. The reason why that you and I are, are sometimes ill doesn't mean that if there's something bad in our life, it's just because we live in a body that is subject to decay. And there is within all of us an uncommon desire to rise above common humanity. And we feel like, whether we want to admit it or not, we feel like that since we are servants of God, we should be granted immunity. Our body is subject, however, to all the ordinary processes of death and decay that belongs to every human being, and we are not granted immunity just because we're God's people. Now, when we're sick because we're human, there are some things that we need to do. What do you do when you get sick? Number one, your sickness should become an object of prayer. It should become an object of prayer. Just pray. I guess you do that. When you get sick, you pray. Now I think that what Paul means when he says, I prayed, I entreated the Lord, and that word means beg. I mean, it means literally to, to cry out in desperation and beg God. And I think when he said, I entreated the Lord three times, he didn't mean literally that he just prayed three times, but rather that he prayed repeatedly. That, that is a divine number, an absolute number to the Jew. He prayed constantly. It was a constant source of pain and handicap, so he constantly prayed about it. He made this illness a matter of prayer. For instance, James's little epistle says, when you get sick, pray and ask in faith for healing. Now that doesn't mean, nor nowhere in the Bible does it ever suggest that we are to, to, to reject the best medical help available. We are to utilize the best medical help available. Even Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake because that was the, that was, it was used for medicinal purposes in that time. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul accompanied a physician along with him on his journey. 
He was his best friend. It doesn't seem strange to you that if Paul meant for us to reject physicians and medical care and just make prayer an object, make illness an object of prayer, doesn't it seem strange to you that one of his companions on his missionary journey was a physician? Now, what should we pray when we make our illness a matter of prayer? Two things. Number one, let him confess his sins. Now, it could be that sin has caused some illness. It is possible, you know, that, that illness is the natural consequence of sin. Let me tell you something, folks. You abuse your body and you sin against this temple of God and you're going to pay for it. I mean, it's just the natural consequence. That doesn't mean God curses you. It's just a law of life that when you sin against this body, the consequence of that sin is that you get sick. Let him confess his sin. Sometimes he needs to confess his sin because sometimes there are psychosomatic illnesses which are the result of guilt. Now, I heard a doctor say one time, he said, he said what percentage of the people do you think that come to me? This guy was a, a, a physician. He said, what percentage of the people who come to me for medical care do you think are coming to me just because they're sick just because they have guilt about some sin? He said, what do you think the percentage would be? 10%? 20%? He said, 80%. That's pretty astounding to me. In other words, he's saying that 80% of the patients who come to him come to him as the result of, of a psychosomatic illness which was the result of guilt of their own sin. Even David said, after his sin, my bones ached. He said, it's like the breaking of my bones. And sometimes we need to confess our sin because God is disciplining us in illness. You believe that? You better. Now you just flip that little New Testament back to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Let me show you something. And I want to read verse 30. Now in the context of this verse, the, there is a... a, a an, a sinful practice regarding the, the, the observance of the Lord's Supper in that early church. And Paul says this, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you died. Now you say, well, that goes for back then. Remember that first sermon I preached on this. We established the fact that how you know what is relevant from the Bible to today is, is it taught in the epistles? All right? Now, if a person gets sick, let him confess his sin. Second, we ought to ask God what he's trying to teach us through our illness. That's under point one if, you've lost, if I've lost you. Point one is make your illness an object of prayer, and I'm telling you how to pray. Confess your sin and ask God to teach what he wants to teach you through your illness. Some of you may be saying, well, I asked God for healing and I didn't get healing. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for healing and no healing come. No healing came. Then I may ask you a question. Were your prayers wasted? 
I heard of a lady who came to a pastor one time and her husband had left her, was leaving her for another woman. And, and she said, I want you to claim with me that he'll come back. And they prayed about that man and they prayed for weeks. And finally she came in one day and said, my husband got married, he'll not be coming back. And we've prayed all this time and the answer has been no. And the pastor looked at her and said, do you feel like that we have wasted our prayers? Oh, she said, not a single one. For in all of this time that I have been praying, God has been teaching me wonderful lessons. Now, anything James says, now this is hard for us to believe, but anything James says, anything that causes you to pray, count it a joy. And if there is an illness, and that illness causes you to pray, and you pray for healing, and no healing comes, you haven't wasted your prayer. Count it a joy. If that has just caused you to pray, it ought to be, it's, it's, it, it's worth it. Now it's interesting to, in verse 7, that Paul says that God gave him, he was given this now, if you look that word up in the Greek, it, you, you'll see this little, little root in it is charisma, and that ought to ring a bell. You've heard of charismatics, haven't you? Now, the charismatic or charisma, uh, the, the charismatic gift is, the, is a graced gift. Now, Paul is saying that as a gift of grace, God gave me this thorn, this spike in the flesh. Then he goes on to call it a messenger from Satan. Now which is it? Is it a charismatic gift, this thorn in the flesh? Or is it a messenger, or is it, was it from Satan? It doesn't matter. You see, the devil can't do anything without divine permission. You remember when Satan and God were, was within this tug of war for Job and Satan says to God, you put forth your hand now and touch him. And what he was saying in essence was that when I touched Job, it was like God was touching him. Now what I'm trying to say is this, that if it is a messenger of Satan or if it is a charismatic gift from God, it's, it, it doesn't matter, for nothing can happen to you unless God permits it. So the question is, when, when I pray for healing and I don't get healing, I've prayed, I've made it an object of prayer, and it, doesn't, and it hasn't happened, hasn't worked. What do I do? Number two, then look, watch this, then look upon your sickness as an opportunity to prove God's sufficiency. Look upon your sickness as an opportunity to prove God's sufficiency. Now what we normally do when we pray for healing and we're not healed is that we run to every healer in the country and we go to every healing meeting but Paul says, in essence, are you listening? That we are to use sickness as an opportunity to prove God's sufficiency. Oh, how 
wonderful it is to be able to prove the sufficiency of God's grace. Now, we've been dealing with the question, does God want us all to be well? And on one end of the scale, there are those who say that healing is in the atonement and God wants all of us to be well. And, on the other, and, 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 and the question we have to that is, well, why is it that God doesn't heal everybody if He wants everybody to be well? And the answer is, well, we don't have enough faith of their sin in the life. On the other end of the scale, there are those who say, no, it's not God's will for everybody to be well. And somebody asks, you mean God is on the side of illness? My answer to these questions are that neither of these questions are relevant. Now I need to say that again. The question, does God want us all to be well or is God on the side of sickness? Neither of these questions are relevant. The issue is not, does God want us well or does God want us sick? The issue is, what does God want us? And I believe that what God wants for each of us, His will for every believer is that we be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's the issue. Now I want to make this statement, and this is the... This is the the thesis of it all tonight, and I want you to write this statement down verbatim. Here's the statement. The will of God is that every believer be Christ-like in character, and everything else derives its significance and its value in relation to that divine purpose. Now I want to say it again. God's will is that every believer be Christ-like in character and everything else derives its significance and its value in relation to that divine purpose. The issue is not health. The issue is holiness. Again and again in God's Word, He makes this clear that we are to go on until we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Personal comfort and the absence of pain are not the main issues of life. Thank you. You, you hear that? Personal comfort and the absence of pain are not the main issues of life. Wealth and health for the Christian are to be subordinate to that which is more important. You know what we've done? We've come to preach that sin and righteousness and prayer are important only in our relationship to health and wealth. In other words, you pray so you can be healthy and you pray so you can be wealthy, and you be righteous so you can be healthy, and you be righteous so you can be wealthy. I've got books in my office, and that's all it talks about. It never talk, they never talk about holiness and the character of Christ. They talk about learning how to pray so you can always be healthy. That's not the main issue. To promote health and wealth is to desecrate the graces of God. Health is not the issue. Holiness is the issue. Health is not the main thing. 
If your health makes you more Christ-like, then you need to be healthy. If losses make you trust in God more, then so be it. Paul's use of the tense, my grace is sufficient, is interesting. It's really literally, he's literally said, God said and it stayed said, my grace is sufficient. That's what that passage, that's what that, that tense is, says. It's an abiding message. Now, we automatically assume that every sickness is a disadvantage. That's a false assumption. We always think that sickness or suffering is a bad thing, something you've got to get rid of. Paul discovered, watch this, that there is something better than the removal of the thorn. And it was that he could prove in the midst of his suffering God's sufficient grace. Paul's thorn was a minister, not a monster. It did two things. It kept him humble. Have you ever thought that Paul's problem began with a heavenly experience? That's when his problem started. Now we come to church on Sunday just longing, hoping we'll have some heavenly experience here. Let me tell you something. His problem started with a heavenly experience. And we think that the way to spirituality is some great spiritual experience. But for Paul, that great spiritual experience he had was the beginning of his trouble because it threatened his usefulness. It started to cause him to be proud. And we should never fail to realize, we should never fail to recognize that Paul discovered more from his thorn than he did from the third heaven experience. I want you to take that home with you. Now he told us a whole lot about the thorn didn't tell us a word about the third heaven. He discovered more in his thorn than his third heaven. He learned more from the suffering than he did from the glory. Paul's thorn was a minister, not a monster. It kept him humble. Secondly, it helped him to remember who he was. Now sometimes we think that we have a corner on God and that we are above suffering and the thorns just the thorn just reminds us of who reminded him of who he was of his frailty that he was dust and and it introduced him to a dimension of the grace of God he had never known before I feel like I need to get out here because I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling you're with me. You need to hear me now. His thorn introduced him to a dimension of the grace of God he had never known before. So what do we do when suffering comes and he says no to healing? Just use it as an opportunity to prove the grace of God. The problem is not that we don't have enough faith to be healed. The problem is that we don't have enough faith to stay sick. And it seems to me that it takes more faith to endure than to escape. 
One last thought. How are we to respond when God says no? Let me, lest I be misquoted, and I have been, and I will be. I don't want to argue with you. I, told, I sure don't want to do that. But I don't want to be misquoted. I did say you do remember in the first point that when you get sick, you pray about it and you ask God to heal you. I did say that. You remember that, don't you? You remember that, don't you, Bart? I got one witness. And I don't want you to go out here and say, well, the pastor glorifies sickness. I did say, but I came to number two and I said, what if God says no to that healing? Use it as an opportunity to prove his sufficiency. And point three, we're to see that suffering is an occasion for praise. Suffering is an occasion for praise. Believe that? Paul says, I will glory in my infirmities. You know what that word glory means? It means I will shout a shout of victory. That's what it actually means. I will shout a shout of victory. Now, Paul was not glorifying the illness. There's some folks who do that. I mean, they enjoy bad health. And they get a lot of attention, you know, by it. And they glorify it. I've, I've gone in the hospital, you know, and you, you, you stand outside the door waiting to go in there and you can just hear them in there just laughing and talking. You walk, oh, you walk in, oh, I'm just so sick, oh. You know. And there, there are just some people, you know, you just see them and, you know, how are you doing? Oh, it's just terrible, oh, I'm so sick. And they glory, they glory, they glorify the illness. The Apostle Paul was not glorifying the illness. He was glorying in the illness. Now you say, well, how can that be? Well, because he knew that when he was the weakest, the strength of God was the most perfected. And he shouted the shout of triumph, the shout of triumph. Because he knew that this illness, this infirmity was going to reveal the power of God in his life. And was going to reveal that this power of, that was of God and not of him. And he was able to shout the shout of victory because he knew that one day this infirmity, this illness would be a means of victory for him and for God. It would be that God would get glory and he'd get good. Now, doesn't it seem logical? Doesn't it seem right that if there is something in my life that will produce glory to God and good to me, that I can shout the shout of glory in it. This illness, let it become an occasion for praise. The cry of man's anguish went up to God. Lord, take away my pain. 
The shadow that darkens the world thou hast made, the close coiling chain that strangles my heart, the burdens that weigh on the wings that would soar. Lord, take away pain from the world thou hast made, that it love thee more. Then answer the Lord to the cry of the world, Shall I take away pain? And with it, the power of the soul to endure, made strong by the strain. Shall I take away pity? that knits heart to heart and sacrifice high? Will ye lose all your heroes that lift from the fire white brows to the sky? Shall I take away love that redeems with a price and smiles with its loss? Can you spare from your lives that would cling unto mine the Christ on his cross? You know what that poem says? That if God was bound to take away pain, Jesus would never have died. You ready for that? Now the glorious thing about this message is that we have the fact of the Apostle Paul and back behind that the identity of the crucified Christ to testify to the fact that God gets glory out of suffering when folks are yielded to Him. Let's pray. Father, we know that the issue, the real issue of life is that men and women become like your son. And we know that you have your own plan of how that's to be accomplished. Grant us the faith confess that your will be done for I pray in Jesus name